0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, guys. Welcome back. Daniel Childs here for the Son of Chelsea podcast. Hope you're doing well. And keeping safe wherever you are listening to this. It is Monday the 19th of December Uh, when I'm recording this. You may be listening to this a little bit later. Um, But I felt it it appropriate in this year of 2022, uh, getting closer by the day to 2023, to look back at Chelsea's year uh, personally and give a reflection of it. Because I've been writing some stuff for Football London and going month by month and just dissecting what has been probably and I try and steer clear of hyperbole with the stuff I say the most mental of my time and life supporting Chelsea that is a is a steep and um honorable award in the history of Chelsea because Chelsea are known for chaos and a lot of the time that chaos comes with success it comes with chaos that I think a lot of rival supporters or just supporters across the country in the world of football would, would desire um but this year has been particularly mental um and I guess a unique vantage point for myself is that I've been you know covering and working as a writer as a presenter as someone who makes YouTube videos who makes podcasts who've who's been on you know um shows with rival fans and has been asked to kind of break down what's going on with Chelsea and you know, week from week to week it's changed and it's been kind of hard sometimes to kind of know where to where to go, what to say and to kind of think about the club. Naturally 2022 and and it's weird with football because we don't like as football fans, I don't know maybe you're different. It's kind of sometimes weird and against our nature to look at years as football fans as kind of the 12-month calendar year I know people do it and I'm doing it right now I'm contradicting myself but we naturally look at football from a club perspective in the nine-month cycle which spans across two calendar years Um, you know it goes from August or July if you include pre-season to May and then maybe some years June and so to go from January to December um And to kind of look through all of that is is difficult because we are going across two seasons, two two halves of seasons effectively. Um, But I do think this is appropriate this year for Chelsea because it kind of, for me, feels like the first half of 2022 very much bled into the second half of 2022 when in a lot of years that first half can kind of be forgotten. But I don't think it can this time because the events in the first half of this year were so seismic that they naturally impacted the second half of the year and will impact the history of Chelsea for many years to come. Um, you know, we started the year with the Lukaku interview, uh, which I have to say, not only because the Ronaldo interview recently kind of came up, and there was a nice contrast there at the time compared to the outrage of of that moment um compared to what Lukaku said and then seeing what Ronaldo said and seeing the reaction to that it kind of felt a little bit tame to be honest um at the time I wrote a piece and you can find it and and I think I maybe said it on the channel I wasn't doing tons of videos at the time that I found the outrage silly I found the response a little bit weird and overblown um I think Lukaku was stupid with what he did. I think that there is just a reality in football, in PR, in media, whether we like it or not, that there are times when you say things and there are times when you don't say things. And that's frustrating. It's not consistent. But with Lukaku, it was the case of, it was that double blow of him going after Thomas Tuchel and and then also um, saying he loved Inter Milan. I still don't think it's breaking news that Lukaku I I, you know maybe I say maybe I'm just completely oblivious to this everyone knew that Lukaku liked Inter Milan had a really good time at Inter Milan and you know he enjoyed it and, and the only club that was going to pry him away from there was Chelsea most likely and that's what happened um, for him to say that you know I don't think was extraordinary I, you know are we expected for the rest of time now for players when they move clubs to never talk about previous clubs when they're being asked about them and, and have affection and they're just supposed to cut emotional ties maybe I'm being disingenuous with that but it created a very toxic environment I am going to say that I felt stunned by some people online who you know, have, have rallied against abuse of players very rightly whether that's racist abuse, sexist abuse or whatever it is in terms of football media landscape and, and the toxicity online, it seemed to me with with Lukaku that the gates just opened for a few days. And we'd see something similar later in the year with Chelsea and Chelsea fans when the sanctions happened, uh, more directed at Chelsea fans when like the gates opened again and people just thought, for a period of time, you could just write anything about Chelsea and Chelsea fans and you'd probably get away of it because people would a you were on the moral side to a lot of people and b you'd probably get away with it and people forget that you ever wrote it in the first place some of us have longer memories than that but um it felt to me like Lukaku that incident was just unsavory and it created instantly a toxic environment and, and not a very nice one specifically against one player but I think it very much you know started to grow kind of the mood around Chelsea in 2022 even before the madness set in um, and yeah from there I mean Lukaku was kind of done as a Chelsea player I mean in retrospect you can sort of say that interview post that there were a few high points but even when he scored you got the sense that some people were a little bit frustrated that he scored scored um, and didn't really want to celebrate because people had gone so far down the you know abuse or just like criticism well you know it's fair to criticize absolutely you're in your right to do so that line with Lukaku that you know is a little bit embarrassing we see this so often like you know double down effectively on the situation so that was mental um, I think the best thing of that was tukul and I'd argue that for a lot of this year the best thing will be tukul when we reflect on it and kind of the way more more Tuckle in public and press conferences than as a coach in my opinion I think is more what I'm taking positively from this year because I think there's a lot to criticize tukul in terms of the results going, you know, wrong, the performance is getting worse. Not all of that is in his own control, of course, but I, I think as a statesman, as we'd come to find out in the, the upcoming months, in the early months of 2022, he, he really thrived in that. And I think he gained so much more respect and support from Chelsea supporters for the way he handled the Lukaku situation. And also the way, you know, he dropped Lukaku. There was a good response against Liverpool in the first game of the year. And just how... I think politically, he came out of that situation looking a, a more s- stronger individual. Um, you, know, so you know, he's you know he's now to dismiss that, and say, well, he's not the club anymore. But there was a radical thing that changed very quickly. Uh, you know, we reached a, the League Cup final. We became world champions at the start of February, and Roman Abramovich was on the pitch celebrating with that trophy—a rare appearance—and you know, few of us knew then. What was about to unravel, you know, in in the coming literally weeks, um, to change everything, and and it's a shame because that Club World Cup was an historic moment in Chelsea history. It really was. It was an achievement that the club had never had before. There was a real sense of regret after 2012 when we lost to Corinthians when that group of players, with some iconic Chelsea players, after um, we'd won in Munich, couldn't get the job done, and it didn't, you know. Winning or not winning the Club World Cup and the Super Cup does not uh, tarnish or impact winning a Champions League. I don't think those two things last season affected the emotion of winning the Champions League. That's what it is. It it will always be that, the greatest night in Chelsea history. But uh, it was nice to have that and to finally close off a chapter which narratively you know neatly it was the last thing that Chelsea needed to win it or to become world champions and that's what we did um and you know it started off the year and, and there was a there was a, a feeling that maybe we could win two trophies in a number of weeks despite some of the problems and it felt very Chelsea to do so but then that closing week of February on the eve of that league cut final the first statement that came out from Roman Barovic he was passing the stewardship and care To the trustees of the Chelsea uh, foundation and of course we start to have the the war in Ukraine and the invasion from Russia and that has its impact on Chelsea very naturally and you know already that tone was being set that you know this wasn't just going to go away and uh, a few days after that heartbreaking final against Liverpool which I was at it was absolutely freezing Uh, I remember rightly I'm, I'm just I 2020 one of my lessons from 2022 is I I absolutely detest going to Wembley and it's not just the fact that Chelsea okay it is the fact that Chelsea lost to Liverpool twice and I was there both times and I felt like I was experiencing Groundhog Day but I just don't like the experience of Wembley I just think I for years I never understood it and that was mainly because I was going okay again hypocrite mainly because I was going to finals where Chelsea won but Maybe as I've got a little bit older, I've I've kind of I understand why people have ma- major problems with Wembley. It's the ticket prices, um, it's the just the the travel there is just. Even if you live in London, the travel there is is a bit of a nightmare. I I saw some I saw fights the moment I got off the train between Chelsea and Liverpool fans at the FA Cup final later in the year. And it was just it's just miserable, obviously, when you lose and, and obviously having to make that journey back. But it's just, and, and the, the loud sound of that PA system as well. It's just, you can't think, you can't speak. It was just, I, I saw Chelsea fans fighting amongst themselves during one of the finals. I mean, it just, just miserable, miserable scenes. The best part of Wembley for me, and I may do this the next time, I'm not going to buy a ticket. I'm going to go with the people who've bought tickets on my Chelsea match-going mates. We go to a pub, um, we have drinks, that's brilliant. Um, and then we get a, a train at Paddington, it takes us to Wembley. And then you ha- you sing in the train um, and all of that stuff is brilliant, going through the list of Chelsea songs. And then, of course, you get off. And then the worst part is you go and see the football. For me next time, maybe I'll just get off the train and then go on the tube back to uh, wherever I need to go to, you know, just and just abandon ship effectively and just not see the football... Uh, because that's probably be a, a more pleasurable experience uh, but we don't know if Chelsea going to get back to Wembley this year but that, that's that's 2023 so we get into Roman announcing that he's going to sell at the club um, it is once again came on the eve of the FA Cup game against Luton massive massive moment uh, where you kind of have to instantly be thrown into it and reflect on an error at Chelsea coming to an end and then what what comes next? What is the, the future of the club going to be like? But then, literally within a week, we have the sanctions, which, even if it was for a brief period, uh, personally, and I know for, for several Chelsea fans, maybe you felt the same um, at, on that day, that Thursday, and, and a couple of days after. It's not only the barrage of, of negative reports and people in certain media roles taking it as an opportunity to kind of let the, the barriers down and just go, we hate Chelsea. Um, and it was more towards the supporters and the people who work at Chelsea. The worst one being, and I'm not going to name the person, but the worst one being, and I think this this triggered all Chelsea fans very rightly. And there was nice uh, unity of in condemnation of it. Was you know the only thing good about Chelsea is Thomas Tuchel. Um, I think it was kind of a mask slip by some people. Uh, that kind of feeling that you know there are people who who are paid to write about Chelsea who don't love they don't have to love Chelsea you know being an objective journalist you know it's, it's I don't want propaganda is it not, it's not the point um I don't understand why people enjoy doing the job Why they do it if they if they absolutely despise the club they're reporting on and say as much in an openly sort of way and um the covering of the Newcastle game was just so bizarre to me mainly because I just think it was a complete elimination of like journalistic sort of and and standards effectively where it was quite abundantly clear the narrative was set before a ball was kicked and then the match reports that came out after the game barely mentioned the game I think in some cases people clearly writing knowing a bit about how match days work um, and, and covering games clearly a lot of it had been written before a ball was kicked and it didn't really matter what was done and then all of the media like applauded each other for doing so um, rather than actually covering the game in front of them which all right was a forgettable game and but did create one of the best moments as a fan inside Sanford Bridge in 2022 which was Kai Havertz late goal with a Cesc Fabregas-esque pass from Jorginho and uh, Tuckle running onto the pitch one of the best pictures of the year and uh, that was a great day because I think there was there was this real sense of unity between Chelsea supporters of all right it's going to be mental we may have seen the best years of Chelsea who knows what comes next but you know we're going to rally behind the club we love the club we're Chelsea supporters we're proud we're Chelsea supporters and we're going to be inside Stanford Bridge and we're going to support the team and of course a late winner always helps that that mood and, and seeing Tuchel so passionate and seeing what Tucker was doing in the media and, and seeing those performances you know I think that was arguably one of the best periods of the year um because the players, I think, responded well. We beat Lille in the Champions League to get to the quarterfinal. We beat Middlesbrough to get to the FA Cup semi-final again. Uh, we were winning games consistently in the Premier League. Kai Havertz was, was, was suddenly looking like a good striker for Chelsea. Um, and yeah, there was a sense of optimism that, despite the upheaval and this turmoil, and we've gone from the change, well, the announcement of a sale to the sanctions. And what does the sanctions mean? Is the club whole sort of future in jeopardy now? Then into um, this bidding process which is just was just so energy sapping for people i think working on the working on this at the time uh and personally just like the amount of names we went through we had one of the well one of the people connected to one of the bids posting their address on twitter and and having to delete it uh we had the protest against the ricketts family a name that's probably forgotten now but the ricketts family became kind of a dominant name um and then todd bowley um and his consortium becoming the favorites and i wrote a piece in march um about I I'd sort of come to the conclusion that I felt he was the best choice. Uh got criticism at the time, got accused that I was being paid to do so. Unfortunately, I wasn't. Um I'm still there are there so many times during this during doing this role that you're accused now of being paid by people, whether it's Mason Mount's PR people, um the one thing I can be accused of is and I'd, I'd give some weight to it and probably like it even though it's not true is uh, Diego Costa's PR people, but that that once again none of it's true. Um, and you know wrote that piece and, and uh, Danny Finkelstein who um, of course is, is part of the consortium was, was very nice about the piece and you know just the the thing I liked about Bowley from the off was was actually being able to hear interviews from him and how calm and composed he was and, and seeing just and reading so much about the progress that had been made at the LA Dodgers and and what had been done there and, and the philosophies of bringing in expertise and you know valuing young players that youth development and, and trying to you know win and and create that culture and you know these are all kind of simple things i think every sports club wants to do uh but i just felt out of the options in what was a congested limited period where chelsea had to be sold to someone um because that that license was expiring on the 31st of may that's why to me boley was was the right guy but then it all started to go wrong on the pitch, didn't it, for Chelsea? Uh, you know, we got battered by Brentford. Uh that was a fun day. I was at least one of the things, you know, I think the best goal of the year it, it, it goes between Kovacic, doesn't it, against uh Liverpool right at the start, or Rudiger. I'd say Rudiger because I was there for Rudiger's goal. Um and I was glad that I, I saw the long range goal go in. Probably the only one he's gonna do in his career. Uh at least I was there, but then it, you know, created chaos and we lost four one. But then there was the almost miracle in Madrid. What an extraordinary game that was to watch! And seeing Chelsea do that in the Bernabeu. I'm speaking to people who were there personally, how incredible an experience that was. Even if it was heartbreaking, and it, you know, it kind of summarised the best of Thomas Tuchel as a head coach. It really did. You know, there weren't many of those moments on the pitch. You know, tactically, where you felt this guy is is one of the elite coaches. And, and in tournament football, he just has this knack to create a plan that few can rival he just knows how to put you know putting Ruben off his cheek in a right wing back role um and you know the way reese james individually vinicius jr who was one of the best if not the best attacker in the, in the competition that year um was just remarkable it really was and chelsea you know Luka modric you know passed from the heavens and Kieran Benzema seeing his performance at Stamford Bridge in the first leg one of the best striker performances I've seen in years Um, you know it it is what it is you face Real Madrid they won the competition Chelsea have done similar with with a lot of chaos you've just got to take your hat off but that was a was a memorable night in itself but then there was so much attention off the pitch that I think a lot of us just wanted the season to end Uh, there were some really disappointing performances and results the one at Old Trafford somehow not being able to beat one of the worst Man United teams ever. That curse just continues, even as we know into this season so far. Uh, Losing to Everton, which I was happy for Frank, but it was another bruising day at Goodison Park where we just forget how to play football. Um, Somehow conspiring to drop a 2-0 lead to Wolves who could barely score weeks before that. It just went on and on. And then um, the season ended and it was just about into this mental summer. Again, it was just... Why I'm going to come to the conclusion about this year is that I think a lot of us are just exhausted by it. Is, is you go through this, I'm nearly 20 minutes in, and you go from one mental period to the next over and over again. And I think any time you, you try to ground yourself, whether it was you know, after the takeover process, okay, we've got these new owners, let's see what happens. There is a sense of excitement of something new. We're going into the summer window. It's interesting. Who are Chelsea going to sign? Who are we going to sell? Uh, what's the preseason going to look like? How are Chelsea going to look you know heading into the new year it's or the new season i should say all of these things it was just there was so much upheaval and so much change that just in contained into 12 months it's understandable why people feel a little bit con- disconnected at the moment from chelsea um you know that, that june particularly i've just been writing the piece on june for football london uh, marina goes monumental figure in Chelsea's recent history behind the scenes she goes out the door a check to uh Bruce Buck leaves all right I know not the most favored person but you know still someone who's been very much a, a face of Chelsea in the past 20 years um he goes and then Bowley becomes interim sporting director we bid for Rafinha that Um, looks like it's going to be done is taken away from us we bid for Jules Koundé that looks like it's going to be done after almost a year where it looks like inevitable he's going to become a Chelsea player that doesn't happen both of them going to Barcelona that became a theme of the summer Um, but we signed Raheem Sterling in my opinion one of the best Premier League attackers over the last six or seven years that's a big signing seeing him in front of the palm trees in LA was was a really cool photo to, to see but then I was out in Orlando to see that performance against Arsenal uh, where really alarm bells started ringing for me. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight then what happened with Tuckle in the, in the opening seven games of the season. But it was just so bad. I mean, I'd personally, that was a massive week. Personally, that was a massive week in my life. I travelled out solo to Orlando uh, for a holiday. You know, big thing personally, I'd had a great week. And then uh, my good friend Adam Newsom had kind of warned me before the game cuz he'd been out in america reporting on the tour too and and kind of warned me that stuff wasn't going well um and there were frustrations and then you see the performance against an arsenal side who would go on to have this incredible start to the year and it kind of foreshadowed i think both clubs season to come effectively um even though we haven't you know finished it yet um and yeah i mean it, it's with the Tuggle thing you know i spoke a lot about it on my channel and, and people still think and accuse me of, of being happy that Tuckle was sacked or I was anti-Tuchel I wanted wanted it to be sacked please find a tweet a video a podcast where I ever called for Thomas Tuchel to be sacked you can't find it because it doesn't exist um because that's just not what I do I didn't do it with Frank I didn't do it with Sarri Um, I think when I was much younger I wanted AVB to be sacked but that's the only time in my life supporting Chelsea I wanted a manager to be sacked most of the time I want them to be given more time my big frustration was watching the team and how uninspiring they were in those first few weeks of the season Um, how this guy all who'd come in with such charisma and such energy in 2021 and had dragged this team with his tactical analysis but also his man management and unified this team to do something remarkable in Chelsea history in the space of four months, how all of that energy just seemed to go away. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that classic thing of, of, you know, the things that maybe you like to bite him at the start start to grate against you. You know, his his antics of shouting at players on the touchline started to annoy me a little bit more. Um, the uninspiring football, um, the, the lack of risk in Chelsea's play, the predictability of watching us. And it just it felt like an inevitable thing that we would have reached the end point sometime in, in this season. I, and that's that's the shame of it. It it was still a massive shock. You know, I'm not going to deny that me and my dad were watching that Zagreb game, which turned out to be his final one. And maybe you felt the same. And maybe it's just the Chelsea fan within us of kind of expecting managers to be sacked. And when things go wrong, that's your, that's your natural instinct. That's your kind of go-to explanation or kind of theory. Oh, he's going to be sacked because well this is what Chelsea do things are going wrong there's going to be a change in the dugout but I have to say watching that Zagreb game it did feel like an end game point Um, it did feel like watching the end of a a coach's time or close to it because there was the sense that nothing was going right Uh, the body language of the players was so bad it was not and this is the weird thing about Tuchel that makes again this year so crazy the explanation behind his dismissal is not actually related to results. It's it's related to communication. It's related to a shared vision. It's related to a breakdown between ideas, between an ownership and a head coach. And that may just be a nice PR line from Todd Bowling and, and the new owners. Uh but I do believe that's the case. Um and it was it was a divisive call. I you know it, it's a bit like when Jose was sacked for the first time. I think it had the similar impact that morning of, of seeing it and thinking holy you know what um, I was drinking my morning coffee I'd actually just written a piece almost in a thousand word piece as I was getting onto my shift for Football London about what Tuchel needed to do to to get Chelsea back to form and obviously almost a thousand word piece will never be seen and read it had to be discarded uh, instantly and then again whiplash you have to then think about a new head coach um, and very quickly it became clear it was going to be Graham Potter um potter comes in but then we have the death of the queen which then delays his first game uh to the following week against uh salzburg um and this is where we get into the final period of the year and kind of the reflection on it and 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 kind of i think the way the mood is now the mood got worse by the end absolutely by the performances and the results in november but i have to say that the mood already was bad and it was I think it was a combination of what had happened in the first seven games the combination of you know people being very frustrated that Tuchel and upset that Tuchel had been uh, dismissed so early and kind of suddenly a, a feeling of of jeopardy or just you know uncertainty of, of why have we just sacked this coach there was a lot of criticism and raised raised eyebrows still about Tuchel being sacked and the level of coach Chelsea had at their disposal and why would you let that go uh to bring in someone who CV wise would have never got the job under the previous ownership unless there was a transfer ban but then I think he needed to be a club legend to get the, the role as well um all of that stuff rolled in and then you see a performance against Salzburg that felt very similar to things we'd seen so consistently over the last three or four years you know Chelsea have a lot of the ball we should be winning the game comfortably but we end up drawing it somehow and we still miss big chances um and there was, you know, frustration. And and I remember after that night, people were already writing off the squad. And I do wonder, I look back to Tuchel's first game against Wolves, where there was no fans inside the ground. And I do wonder whether Tuchel would have suffered the same fate. Um, it's easy for fans to turn around who like Tuchel and like Lampard and say, and obviously like Lampard, but, you know, to say that wouldn't have been the case. But there were there was frustration around Lampard being sacked. And I think Tuchel very much benefited. Listen, he still did extraordinary work, but he benefited from the fact that he did not have to face that frustration. And in the Wolves game was still a bad game. I mean, it was just unbelievably dull, his first game in charge. But there was no... You, the, during that weird period of lockdown, there was no way to gauge the mood of the fan base. The only way you had was was social media or talking to your mates. That was it. You know, there was no pulse. You have that now inside the ground, which I always prefer, even if it's positive or negative. I think that is what football needs. Obviously, fans inside the ground, but, you know, it, it almost instantly puts Graham Potter on the back foot. But, you know, he he starts to win games. Uh, it's it's weird to me because the, the honeymoon period, as we call it with new head coaches, which usually happens with Chelsea, obviously doesn't happen for that long with Graham Potter. But, you know, I almost felt, and I don't know if this is just like, the stuff I'm seeing or maybe this is just unfair I, I I got the sense that because people were still so scarred by Tucker leaving it was almost like all of those wins that we did get legitimately under Graham Potter in those first few weeks um, were just being dismissed and the moment we started the, the results turned and the performances turned it was all just dismissed again it was like well yeah we're crap and you know everything's terrible and, and sort of the nihilism set in uh Reese James goes down injured, almost feels identical to the Ben Shirwa situation a year earlier. Then Ben Shirwa also gets injured and then we have those really bad results and performances against Arsenal is is one of the most depressing games I've been to in some time. Uh the the, the, the unfortunate thing about Chelsea is there's been a few of those in recent years uh that the battering at Brighton I still think is kind of like a footballing receipt from the gods you know you take your head their head coach you take their left back you take their their coaching team and then eventually you take their recruitment uh guru so I think we were kind of owed that one um but that felt very much like I remember writing after it like that that felt very much like the The Bournemouth collapsed in 2019. Um, The defeat to Watford at Vicarage, Roger under Antonio Conte. There are many you could pick out where we've just been absolutely outplayed by a team that Chelsea... Brighton are a good team. They're not marks, You know, they they play some very good football and have some very good players. Um, They just felt like another day where just too many of those days where everything goes wrong for Chelsea and we're just absolutely battered and there's just no response. And I think that's the shame of it when we wrap up 2022 is that so much stuff has happened... Um, I think people feel lost about Chelsea at the moment. I, I had when I had my conversation on the podcast with Adam Newsom, we spoke about the kind of my sort of theory that Chelsea Chelsea fans have, are kind of becoming a little bit like Star Wars fans, and and you know without going so you know to sort of copy what I said back then, I feel like Chelsea fans some may be a little bit lost at the moment because the Roman Abramovich era ended so abruptly, um, and people had to come to terms with that very very quickly and the takeover process was not the usual elongated like two or three year thing like we've seen with Newcastle and you know it was such a unique public thing as well where we got to vet positively or negatively and then see who could buy Chelsea and there was obviously the ticking clock of the sanctions as well so there was always going to be an end period and it made things so intense and whilst all of that's going on you've still got things going on um, on the pitch. Two heartbreaking defeats uh, on penalties to a massive rival. You know, all these things mixed up, you know, when I've listed them, as I have in several articles and, and the fanzine piece I've done for the end of the year, wrapping up things, even like one or two of them in a year is probably enough to have all of it to have the change in ownership, sanctions, threatening, you know, the existence of the club a takeover a rush takeover that a mental summer where you have behind the scenes and on pitch change a change in head coach seven days into the new seven games sorry into the new uh, season and then we have injuries we have some really bad defeats and there's a dismal sense of mood around the club and then you have a, a, a FIFA World Cup at the end of the year in, in the winter We've only got one game left of 2022, and that is against Bournemouth on the 27th of December, uh, just after Christmas. And I think my hope for that game is obviously a good performance, a good win. Um, I, I am going to that game, and there is a bit of fear for me because, you know, just, just gauging again the moon on social media, which isn't always the smartest thing, is that I really hope that people turn up to that game and aren't at the players' throats already you know if you do anything wrong we're going to berate you and I think that's the problem um at the moment with the mood now that is not just I'm not blaming fans for being upset about losing I'm not blaming fans for being upset of seeing some dismal performances that is we're all upset about Chelsea not doing well it ruins our weekends it's not it's not pleasurable there's no part of me you know again this standards nonsense and people accepting mediocrity um No one likes seeing those results and performances. Um, My conclusion is not just, let's just sack the manager again and let's just keep doing what we've been doing under the previous ownership and just, you know, hope that the 2005 season returns because I, you know, I I think that that's been the problem at Chelsea. I think Chelsea have been running away from their reality for for almost half a decade now, uh, since the last title win. Probably, you could argue, even longer, actually uh with the the frequent ups and downs but that's not the conversation i think the conversation is about ending the year on on the high and and hopefully starting to build something new and 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 i think what graham potter desperately needs is is a massive win i I don't think a massive win is is going to be gained against bournemouth i don't think that counts even if we were to batter them six nil he needs to win one of the big games and and that that's another thing as well you know the the the, I think that the confidence and morale around the players, but also the the fans, when you see the being so close to beating Spurs and all the drama around that game, a late equaliser at stanford Bridge, and it's being so close to beat Man United and a late equaliser, these things I think do have obviously an impact on the mood and and the confidence and just the feeling around the club and that Chelsea Chelsea and Chelsea fans and just the club is not going to gain anything by just wallowing for the rest of the season and going everything's crap, everything's awful. What are we going to do? Um, let's just be negative um there is a there's a give and take there obviously but i, I think that there needs to be something to to unify but as i said with jay recently and he said it brilliantly like he's done with the chaos and i agree with him I there is a lot of joking and kind of like we'll put it on t-shirts chaos and trophies and, and say it and all that stuff i but i agree with him i'd I like a quieter settled year because i, I don't want to repeat of 2022 and that's the shame of it there isn't much joy had in 2022 by the chaos Um, it was just chaos 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 there was a trophy at the beginning of the year which of course we're we're delighted with but um, I think Chelsea need to find their identity and I think Chelsea need to find a sense of unity again and and hopefully that will be found sooner rather than later that is my my thoughts on on 2022 as I say I'm I'm recording this on the 19th we still got Christmas to come but we we get into this period of the year where stuff becomes mental obviously we spend time with family and we lose track of time for a week so i thought it best to record this now on the 19th when i when i have time to do it and can maybe say it, say it sober before i start drinking all my german pills now over, over the festive period which i'm very excited to do um and yeah so i'd like to hear your thoughts you can get in contact with me at son of chelsea on twitter i'm also on tiktok I, I recently set up a tiktok where i'm posting clips on my youtube channel but also some other content too so if if you want to go over there and and check it out that'd be very much uh appreciated to go and give it a follow uh instagram at son of chelsea at son of chelsea yt but i'd say follow at son of chelsea that's, that's the main instagram account uh, i'm trying to think of all the shout outs i've i think that's it other than if you are listening obviously on the podcast week, because i think i'm only going to be putting this out as, a, as an audio um because I've I've mainly just been looking at the mic for the whole time, but um hopefully you have enjoyed it. Please give us a rating review. Son of Chelsea is a part of the Ninety Min Podcast Network. Probably should have said that at the start, but you know Son of Chelsea is a part of the Ninety Min Podcast Network. Uh, that has been personally one of the cool things of of this year is is linking up the guys at Ninety Min. Uh, Harry Simeu, a lot of thanks for for him and and just the guys over there being so welcoming and going on some of their shows, which hopefully I'll be doing a lot more in twenty twenty three. And hopefully you guys enjoy listening to the podcast i wish you a very merry christmas i probably will do again on my content before i will be making videos before christmas eve at least uh but you know thank you so much for your support this year it really is humbling i enjoy doing this i love chelsea and uh, hopefully we can be speaking about more positive things and wins and and, and great goals and um shenanigans good shenanigans in uh, 2023 all the best Podcast Network.